We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. push England back and secure a result that gives them a platform on which they can build their future. But enough about 1776. This is the Arsenal Vision World Cup Daily. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That was a stretch, like a huge stretch. I had determined that I was going to go with a 1776 Revolutionary War joke today, regardless of the outcome. As you know, if you've listened to previous World Cup dailies, I did not anticipate the outcome being a positive one for the U.S. And to be fair, it's debatable whether the draw is actually a positive outcome. It means more positive than losing, which if I'm also being fair, is what I expected. But the 1776 thing, there was no clean access to it. I hope you forgive uh, the way I got there in the end. A fun and interesting day of World Cup football. A surprising result. Uh, Iran beating Wales 2-0 uh, with late goals, stoppage time goals, and and really well-deserved and, and a nice moment for them. I will say that there were people that were not happy with me for suggesting that Iran were uh, not good. I will defend myself by saying they did lose 6-2 in their first match, and I was not the only one who said that they might be one of the worst teams in the tournament. But they came through today and, in so doing, have created a situation where the USA-Iran game really is a knockout game, but Iran now in a position to defend a draw, uh, and the USA will have to go win that game, and we'll talk about that more. In addition, there was the Netherlands-Ecuador game, Cody Gakpo with a beautiful goal, Maybe putting some extra zeros on his price tag, but Ecuador actually outplayed the Netherlands. Unlucky not to win. Senegal beat Qatar, who are probably the worst team in the tournament at this point now. Uh, I mean, Costa Rica will have to see their second game, actually. They, they're they raising their hands saying, hey, notice me, notice me. We'll see. But special treat today in that you have to listen to neither Phil Costa nor Lewis Ambrose. You get to listen to Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Woohoo! Putting the band back together. We did, uh, so today, Clive and I got together. We talked a little World Cup. And then we scouted three players. We scouted Danilo. We scouted Facundo Torres. And we scouted a mystery player. And that is all out there on Patreon uh, today. A mystery even to Clive, who didn't know I was going <laughs> to bring up the scouting for him. So that's on the Patreon. This is on the regular feed. There is definitely something for everyone. We'll have a main Arsenal Vision pod on Monday. So Mondays during the World Cup will be Arsenal Vision Day. Uh, all the other days will be World Cup Daily Days. And then there'll be all the Patreon stuff. So there's lots and lots of fun stuff going on. But Paul, USA nil, England nil. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, and I want you to tell me if you agree that on balance, and and again, I say this as someone who expected the USA to be not not in this game. I think the USA was the better team for most of this game. Yeah, they were really really good. Um, it's not just that England will be disappointed. England were basically outplayed. Um, their attack was blunted. Midfield looked kind of irrelevant. Uh, their defense was okay, I guess. You know, um, credit to Maguire. He was he was pretty yeah. good actually. Harry mm-hmm. Maguire, mm-hmm. Uh, picky. Picky was like losing his mind with his defenders, <laughs> tapping his head, telling them they're crazy, which is always good coming from Pickford. Um, so that, that'll that tell you all was not good in front of the defense. Uh, yeah, no, England were greatly exercised by this, this game. I think England started well. They had a good 10, 12 minutes, and then... Saka created two openings right in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. That could have been goals, yeah. You know? yeah. And then, so I'm like, oh, yeah, this is kind of what I expected. England starting to pull the strings, getting into a rhythm. And then the USA came on. It wasn't just uh, crazy pressing. It was clever. Like, they were able to do it for 45 minutes. You can't press badly and energetically for 45 minutes. They pressed really well. When they got a hold of the ball, they moved it really well between the lines. Mm -hmm. Yes, England had more possession, but it was was kind of England knocked them, or the US knocked them off kilter. And I don't think England came out to play badly. They may not have played badly had had uh, USA not stuffed their turkey around 15 to 20 minutes here, put them on their back heels, and then England were like, I'm not feeling so good now. I think <laughs> a lot of credit to the US because it wasn't just that England didn't show up. They did show up. Now, maybe they would have turned into this at some point, but... You know, the USA asked them the questions, put them on their heels, pushed them back. England weren't enjoying it. They were like, this is annoying insects at a picnic. Get off me. You're not supposed to be able to do this to me. But they kept doing it. And it wasn't just being annoying. Uh, like, that was good play. Maybe they didn't have quite the deadly threat, the USA, in the box that mm. they were looking for. But everything else was – Musa – was re- he's an Arsenal Academy guy, and he yep. looked like it. He was he he was absolutely great. I don't know why can we let him leave. Can we take a moment to appreciate Matt Turner with the ball at his feet? Like the Arsenal yeah. DNA is in there now. I mean, whatever you want to say. The the funny thing about Matt Turner is my criticism of him when he arrived at Arsenal is he looked like a deer in headlights. He was just so skittish, and now you put him in the World Cup. And he's like, hey, I play for Arsenal. I'm too big for the World Cup. And he's just bawling out. It was lovely to see. And I I need to go post the Shaq meme on Twitter. I'm sorry, Matt Turner. I was not familiar with your game. Um, just just for a minute before we get into more of the tactical stuff, how impressed were you with Turner? Because I thought he was he could have been a man of the match in some ways. Look, a big part of being a goalkeeper is looking the part because it's a two-way feedback mm-hmm. thing. You don't look the part. Well, I guess there's some keeper out there who can look the part and is absolutely and terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think you know who that is? It was Petr Cech at Arsenal. Petr Cech in his final few seasons at Arsenal definitely I'm, looked the part of a world-class keeper. Was not very good. <laughs> I have not got on this pod to argue with you about Petr Cech, but I could. Okay, um, no, please. Yeah, I won't. Um, 
So uh, where was I? Yeah, that mm. dribble in the, what was it, 89th minute. He's, I, mm-hmm. I don't think he planned to dribble halfway up the pitch. and He he also dropped the shoulder early in the game in his own box and sent yeah. someone out for lunch. It was great. Yeah, like he, he looks like he thinks he belongs here. And of course, this is his natural environment. You know, these are the woods he's grown up in. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, Ramsdale's on the bench. He's on the pitch. He's playing like a world-class or a World Cup keeper who deserves to be there, claiming crosses. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they didn't, in a way, he, he had some very good saves, but not great saves. And the reason they weren't great was because uh, the U.S. defensively, and of course he's a big piece of that, but defensively, they really weren't that stressed by England. Um, no. There was none of this kind of, oh, they have him on toast, oh, uh, you know, uh uh, incredible hijinks in defense to save that like they they didn't have to do any of that they were very contained even though they were aggressive pushing forward counterattacking uh i was very impressed before we before we get into some of the tactical stuff cuz i want to talk midfield in particular but the the extent to which england did not need to win this game do you think that there was any part of it after seeing the wales iran result where england was sort of like you know what the usa don't have elite attacking talent if we can keep them out this is a fine result and we don't really need to go be aggressive playing to win this game like what was there a case of situational football from england in the sense that going hell for leather to win this game really wasn't something they needed to do situationally yeah look um they didn't plan it to be that way all the team talks beforehand would have not been they didn't set up like that they didn't start the game like that but as time goes on, like there is a it's point in your head, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's like there is a point at which you say, "Well, look, we just can't fucking lose because we go through. We probably go through top of the group uh, as long as well." In their minds, they're thinking, "As long as they get any kind of result against around the top of the group, and there's Wales, a point." But yes, yeah, uh, yeah, Wales, uh, and. Um, they're they're there thinking, uh, okay, this this doesn't feel like our day. It's the classic: if you can't win, don't lose. And it didn't feel like they were going to win. Um, so there's a bit of that. But I mean, they played, they made aggressive changes. I think in terms of the person, like the, there was nothing about how they set up, but that was regressive particularly safe i even think the henderson one made sense a lot of people were saying oh you know that's not very aggressive but you know he plays in a pretty aggressive team i think he did shore up some of the issues for them in midfield that allowed them to be a little bit more confident just his presence knowing what to do in a game tempo calming the calming the mentality down so i still think that was a, a a move to be aggressive to attack um to give a platform they brought on lots of uh, attacking players but uh yeah i think especially as the game went on we're like i don't know how you're feeling about this extra time thing how did it only end up in uh like what was it four minutes of extra time that's like yeah it's weird every single game has been like 11 9 14 yeah. and then and then this game they decided to go back to the, the usual one minute at halftime and four minutes at full time i mean there but, were the subs i grant i'll grant them that and then there was a minute of some guy holding his leg mm-hmm. um so like in a normal game yeah four minutes but like i was just getting into this whole you know give me 10 or 11 minutes to see how this <laughs> sucker ends up because yeah. 
I think it's a very interesting dynamic. Dynamic. I don't know if I like it or not, but it would have been a very interesting end to this game if instead England or the US had to face 11 minutes here of, uh, you know, oh, we'll just see this one out. Well, that doesn't work so well across 11 minutes. Uh, yeah, I and I don't know how it would have worked because I think both teams were starting to look a little ropey. But, like, mm. it, it is a case now where I think mathematically speaking, it's nearly impossible for England to go out no matter yeah. what happens on the last day. Because they got to beat 4-0, right? Yeah, so, so I can understand how England might have been tempted as the game's going on to say, you know what, we get out of the, we get out of dodge with a nil-nil. We're probably topping the group, and we basically have progressed. So it is sort of job done, and the England fans are losing it, as you'd expect, because there's a, there's a sense of entitlement to beat the USA, and I understand why it exists. But what really interests me in this one, Paul, is the midfield. Jude Bellingham and Declan Rice are two of the great. Well, they're they're two of the luminary young midfield talents in the game, and they were a non-factor. And the U.S. midfield just dominated this game. McKinney, Adams, Musa, and I think some of it is down to Mount. I think Mason Mount just was nowhere where Bellingham and Rice need to be. The other thing is, it felt like every time McGuire and Stones got the ball. They were bypassing midfield, the fullbacks. Were, I mean, I don't know that there was anyone who was really good for England, but Mount in particular, for me, there's something about the dynamic with Mount where Bellingham and Rice didn't have anyone to play off of. So is that the real shock in this game that the U.S. midfield so thoroughly outplayed what I think what you'd have to say is a more talented or presumably a more talented um, England midfield? Yeah, this this England midfield should be great on paper. I swear to God. It should be 50- 300 million pounds of talent, roughly. I mean, yeah. basically, yeah. This is the God's honest truth. And why would I lie, really? 15 minutes into it, I'm like, is Rice actually on the team sheet? I mean, I hadn't been paying perfect attention to begin with, but I'm yeah, like... He wasn't in the game at all. I actually went and checked uh, to see if he was on the pitch. Uh, like, I, mm. I was, I had a smaller screen. I was squinting. I looked up a listing. Yes, he's in the lineup. I couldn't fucking find him. Uh, Bellingham, I could see. But, like... It wasn't, there was nothing going on. There was no connectivity. There was, there was no real control after 10 minutes. Whereas you saw the, the U.S. midfield clicking through Musa and uh, stringing passes together with intent, moving quickly between the lines, finding all their passes, hitting all their passes. Uh, yeah, like when they were talking at halftime and after halftime they were talking about what the changes should be and I'm I'm completely thinking actually the issue isn't the attack um, I mean sure change the attack all you like but your issue England is midfield the thing about us neutrals the worst people in the world are neutrals I'm not a neutral I <laughs> flick from side to in this game I was basically uh, flicking from but I wasn't really pulled to was, the centre by being on either pole at any given moment yeah I was really pulling for I found myself Absolutely pulling for the U.S. Apart from then I get really confused because, oh, England would have passed to Saka. And now I'm like, I don't know how to feel right now. But fortunately, the ball would go back to an English player. I'd be like, USA, USA. Um, (laughs) So like the World Cup's great. You just get to enjoy teams in 10 or 15 minutes uh, patches and switch sides. But for like basically for this whole game, England never pulled me in. I was like, come on, USA. It, like, there was a point as well, three quarters way through the game, where I'm like, if the USA doesn't get something out of this game, it will be a bit of a, won't be the world's greatest travesty. There are bigger travesties than that, but it will be some class of, it, yeah. of travesty. And, and, and ultimately, 
I mean, there are questions about the lineups on both sides. I mean, we'll we'll start with England. Firstly, I think it's worth pointing out, Harry Kane just isn't the Harry Kane he once was. Like, he 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 can still be a lot to, to deal with, and he can still strike a ball incredibly sweetly. But some of the burst and some of the creativity, some of the, the trickiness is gone. I, I think the extent to which there's just a commitment to make him the center of the attack, the focal point of the attack holds England back. I think Sterling is not the Sterling of old. I, I just... I don't see how you wind up with a nil-nil where Phil Foden can't get on the pitch. I have a hard time seeing why Trent Alexander-Arnold doesn't play for England because I, I know he's defensively not as secure. But Trippier and Shaw, just both of them, are are not... I just don't think they're very good. I mean, Shaw, I've never, I've never rated. Trippier, to be fair, is playing really well for club. But there is just a staleness about the way England attacks on both flanks because of the fullbacks, because of, I think, Sterling and, and Kane being a, a dire fo- a focal point. Look, Saka was even muted a little bit after the start. It was a very muted England performance. And as far as the U.S., I, I was really surprised when I saw Haji Wright starting, uh, a player I don't know much about, and I owe him an apology to some extent because I think, I think he played pretty well, actually. But for me, Aronson and Gio Reyna are, are game-changing type talents. I would have liked to have seen them come on sooner. So in terms of looking at how the U.S. could change it or what the U.S. might have considered in this game. What do you think are some some changes the U.S. might look at for Wales? Probably none the way we played, but or could look at as games go on. I am I find it shocking that Brendan Aronson doesn't start for the U.S., just given his form for Leeds and, and how good he's looked this season. Yeah, but and I'll be honest. I don't hugely know the U.S. I don't really think about the U.S. as a team till the World Cup comes along. I, I know yeah, the indi- some of the individual players, but I never really think about them in that U.S. context in the way that I would about the England, France, uh, Germany teams and how players fit in there. Um, I guess you got to use the argument, why would you change too much about this team for the next game? I, like, Aronson is a player I really like. Um, and... Uh, like, they brought him on because I think, you know, they were beginning to tire in that spot. But as a team, as a way of playing, uh, in the same way Southgate didn't see much reason to change his lineup between the first game and this game, you'd be pushed as uh, as, as the coach, as Barhalter, to want to change this particular lineup, I would think. I, I mean, it, it, the only part of this pitch you'd think about changing would be the striker option, and I don't think... There's a better striker option. But in terms of how they play, how they function, um, I liked this. The, it looked the good US defensively. The U.S. is just missing. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. The U.S. is just missing that number nine who can who can win you a game to some extent. I mean... I, I think it, that's right. And, and you know, the problem with that as well is that, you know, Pulisic is going to have a shot because he knows he's the guy who's going to take... So, it, it creates that predict- predictability that you're not threatened by the center forward and you know Pulisic is going to take a pop. So you kind of play to uh, just put him in, make sure he doesn't get into dangerous positions, close him down quickly because you know he's going to shoot rather than pass more than he Hell normally would. Hell of a shot would. he took that, that rocketed yeah. off the crossbar. And like, yeah, could have been. To be fair, Pulisic, I know he's having a, ter- a terrible time at Chelsea. I thought he was great in this game. I think he embraces the role he was given in this game to sort of carry the yeah. ball through the thirds. Um, he was tricky. He had the back heel that that started one really nice counterattack. He had a number of nice moves cutting inside uh, against the the grain, against the, the England defense and, and finding players on the opposite side. I thought Weston McKinney was great on the opposite side. Those two players for me are the, are the oil and the engine. And so 
I, I just think that the the challenge against Iran, though, is probably going to be, can you find the goals? Because my guess is that Iran will look to play on the counter a bit more, and it's going to be about picking the lock. So, Yeah, and Wales had that. Like I knew before the Wales game today, great as they may be at counter-punching, mm-hmm. when they need to kind of pick up that energy and, and go at nominally, maybe not a weaker team than that, well, a weaker team than them or a weak team, they got to generate their own attack, which was always going, going to be their issue. Um, I think US, the U.S. will outplay their opponent in the next game, but they still got to find the goal from somewhere. Um, yeah. and, and like that can be for, like they'll have the problem of getting frustrated, which they didn't have in this game. They they had a lot of fun torturing the U, uh, uh, England in this game making them uncomfortable like they were having fun even if if they weren't getting all the shots they wanted uh, they knew they were uh, ma- making life very unpleasant and in many ways having the run of the game at times uh, a real highlight for me going back to the Kane discussion yeah please um mm-hmm. early on 10 minutes in or so they swarmed Kane Musa two three other players absolutely all over him at speed, took the ball off him and, and hit on the counter. Uh, it was that time they were kind of passing it around instead of putting crosses um, into the England box. It was a really good counter through Musa. Um, and uh, that was the moment that I, th- in my mind, I'm like, oh, these guys are so much more at it than England, and England are not enjoying it. Like, Kane does not want to have guys all over him taking the ball off him when he wants to kind of slow it down in his uh, Conte Spurs kind of way of having time on the ball. And the U.S. just had his number. Swarm him every time he's he's got a moment or time. And I think, you know, the, I wonder if Conte Spurs does Kane's any, Kane any favors in terms of the tempo that games are played at, in and, mm-hmm. and the space he's going to get because he's not going to get that in this world cup if other teams take note of what the usa did to him yeah um as far as some other performers that i thought did well i mean well so there's the chances there's pulisic hits the bar weston mckinney has the chance of the game but he he roofs it it bounces up and i i think that's a hard one to keep down you got to try to just guide it instead of shooting it um i thought both U.S. fullbacks did pretty well, but Anthony Robinson, you know, I, I haven't watched him much for Fulham, but he was really good, and his engine is just incredible. I think uh, there was one moment where Sterling gets the ball at the top of the box, back to goal, and all the U.S. players try to go for the ball. They think he's going to play back the wall pass and leave him, and he's like, oh, no one's defending me, and he turns around and runs into the box, and Anthony Robinson does a brilliant job to get back into position. What do you think of him? I haven't watched him a lot for Fulham, but yeah, I mean, I thought he was he was really good. And I think it's sort of interesting that you have teammates in this team, right? You've got Ream and Robinson, the left side of the defense, both play for Fulham. Um, you have Tyler Adams and, well, Brendan Aronson not starting, but, you know, who both play for Leeds. It's, it's sort of an interesting dynamic. Yeah, look, I was very impressed with not, like, what you expect to be saying at a game at, of a game at the end of this is, oh, good energy and determination and spirit. I thought the quality on the ball, every time they got the ball, which was plenty, they moved it through the lines really well. Good pass. I think they could have been a little bit more confident in the final third. They got there a few times and kind of 
laid it off to another guy to put in a cross, another guy. Like, mm. that was the only area. Maybe they didn't expect it to go this well for them, but, like, all around the pitch, I thought they moved the ball confidently at pace, quality passes. Good one-touch passing, good distances, yeah. right? The thing, the England distances, there were times, I, I should have taken a screenshot, Paul, because there were times I was watching, and Bellingham might have it, or Rice might have it, or, you know, it might be out wide, yeah, and you could draw a huge circle. Weird. There was yeah. no one in the middle of the pitch for England. The U.S. distances, they always had a layoff back or or a, a way to go square to get to get moving forward. I thought I thought they had the distances right. Yeah, I thought the U.S. really accordioned really well. They were really compact when they needed to be. They spread out. They moved the ball. Like, loads of stuff to take forward in terms of confidence. And you look at a young team and you think about what this is really about. I mean, okay, they might win the World Cup this time around. But if not, they're setting this young team up on a growth path uh, forward. I, I thought the the movement, the passing, the building – all really good to the eye. I don't know all of these players in in the kind of detail I'd like to analyze them individually, but I didn't see one. Here's what I'd say. I couldn't pick one U.S. player out of them who I felt was letting them down in terms of the flow. I thought they were all at the level, all at the pace. The passing was all good. Uh, there were threats down both wings. They were given the the English more concerns in terms of getting down the wings than going the other way. They were getting back in time, in formation. They've done a really nice job. There was a lot of talk. <laughs> there was talk uh, in the commentary um, before the game that Bear Alter and uh, did you hear this? I don't, you, did you hear the US commentary? Uh, yes, the, I did. Yeah. So the UK commentary, apparently Bear Alter has been chumming up to Garrett Southgate and like <laughs> Southgate's been kind of given, been a bit of a mentor and stuff and they're on in WhatsApp together and apparently according to Bearhalter ju just as the World Cup came along because they're in the same group uh, Garrett Southgate stopped replying so he'd be sending <laughs> those messages and you get the two little ticks where the guy has received it and looked at it but not replied so um, he's obviously been preparing for this group and I think he's done a really no nice job on Garrett's. I don't think Garrett's going to be returning any of those WhatsApps for a little while. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I do think it matters. You look at this team and you start saying the names Pulisic, Musa, Adams, McKinney, Dest, well, Zimmerman, Ream, Robinson, Turner, and you've got Juventus and Chelsea and Leeds and and Fulham and Lille Valencia. and Milan and Valencia and Arsenal. And I know some of these players, you know, like don't play as much as they might like to, but this isn't this isn't once you know the the old days of it being an all MLS type team and you know there's one player who plays in Europe and it's you know Clint Dempsey or it's Landon Donovan who once played a, a season in Germany or something it, it's there's a lot of talent here and talent on the bench to choose from so maybe seeing the US as the plucky underdog is a bit overlooking it but there is no way to look past the talent that's in the England side and so now so switching gears to England for a bit before we move on to the other games it's not a performance that will have them feeling good, but they can tell themselves a story that we knew a draw was good enough and we got we got what we came for. I don't know that that's true or not, but it is. I don't know if that's what they came for, but it's certainly true that that's the case. The question is, will it lead to any introspection on Southgate's part? I think the way the midfield disconnected is going to be a huge concern for him. I think it's somewhat telling that Henderson was one of the first subs. I just don't see how you look past Mount, though, as a problem. So if, 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 if Southgate yeah. is inclined to be concerned about this, where do you think the change might come from? Because to me, the midfield is a big flashing red light. Yeah, look, I think Mount's a really talented player, but you wouldn't know it today or recently. I disagree. I can't stand him. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not willing to give him anything. <laughs> uh, Capiaris to defend him. I mean, he's no, playing for enough. Chelsea. Go on. The, the, the more right you are and the more wrong I am, the more the that works for out for both. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, when do you have that feel-good dynamic? I don't know. But, like, he's not in a good time at Chelsea. And you look across their team, like, Kane might be doing okay at Spurs, I guess. But, like, the football ain't doing him any favors there. Sterling's off the boil. Uh, Rice is having a tough season. Uh, I guess United are getting better. But, like, Shaw's no good. I guess he's having a bit of a better season. Maguire's having a terrible season, but he had an okay game. Uh, uh, I guess Trippier's having a good season. Uh, Pickford's in the war. Like, I just, I think they're a very, very talented team. A lot of their players aren't actually in a good moment in their careers or their clubs. And, like, England really should be a favorite for this World Cup. And they were after the first game. But, like, this might be the real England, unfortunately. Um, like, I want them to go deep. I don't know if I want them to win or not, but I want them to go deep. I want it to be a good England that performs. I, I certainly, like, Mount made. You know, you see that game, you'd never have started him. Um, He was a non-factor and he needed to provide those combinations. I think it was only late in the game um, when they brought on Grealish. Grealish and Mount had some some moments together and looked like they might create something, which reminded me how Mount hadn't connected, created with anybody else in this game. And absolutely a missing piece. And Bellingham had so much time to get forward and connect. Like, nobody just... There were no there were no triangles caught on either side like you would see at a performing team uh, folding the the opposition defense and that's Mount's job to get into those spots. You could see him wandering around trying to pick up the ball, trying to get on the ball, and he just couldn't get into it and he couldn't do anything. Um, like if I'm Foden, I'm scratching my head why I wasn't playing today and certainly why I'm not playing in the next game. Yeah, yeah. Um. I I think it can be hard when a nation has so much talent in a way because the team doesn't pick itself. And whatever you do, there's always going to be someone on the bench who's fantastic that people can point to and say, why doesn't that guy play? Yeah. Right? It's very easy to say, oh, but, but Foden, should, oh, Trent Alexander-Arnold should be, oh, Jack Green, right? Like there's there's so much talent. And obviously Ben White, but the less he and Ramsdale have to be involved in this, the better. Um <laughs> I think that's like, right. But the contrast is Brazil, right? I mean, they've got even more problems from having even more talent. And uh, I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you saw the game. They were sensational mm-hmm. yeah. once once they got going. But I think you're right. But like, I do think maybe there's just too many players who in their own little bubbles back in the Premier League are kind of off the boil or in a funk or in a bit of a funky team. In a, like this, It just doesn't feel... Like these guys are ready to pop in the World Cup, See, whereas that's all the really yeah. sorry, go ahead. Sorry, the Brazil guys like they're all like Jesus and Martinelli are having incredible seasons, and they can't get in the second team to start with. And I think that's that's a bit of a difference across the the board here between an England and a Brazil. I do think though this is something that I think is different about an in season World Cup. Mm. Pick the players that are flying for their club right now, because. They're in their mid-season form. They are flying. They are feeling it. 
it's not like the summer where maybe the last couple of games of the season, they've already started to wind down. They've been on the beach. The couple of weeks go by, you know, it's almost like starting a cold engine and you don't know what you're going to get out of them. Pick the players that are really flying for their club. And like Foden for me would be the one that's just obvious. Like, I don't see how you can't pick Foden over Sterling. That one just jumps out to me as super, super obvious. And like, it's not my job to try to fix England. Um, but that that would be one that jumps out and and mounts another one that obviously I I would replace, but that's another story. I think it is worth pointing out too that like there's this presumption that Bellingham and Rice ha- have the divine right to dominate a midfield, but between them they're what the average age is 21 between them or something like that. I mean, what is Rice 23? Bellingham's 19. Yeah, I think that's right or, or close to it. So I mean, it's and you know with age it's really just about how close. Anyway, I nailed it. He's 23. Uh, Rice and and Bellingham is uh, 18 or 19. 19, right? 19. Yep. 19. So maybe, you know, Elliot, there needs to be if, a little if more we're going to end up, If we're going to end up buying Bellingham, you're going to have to get his, his age right. You know, I mean, we got to prepare well, but ourselves. But the problem is he'll be 32 on a free from Chelsea <laughs> when we do it. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the only issue there. Um, well, any last thoughts from this? I mean, look, England are still going to top the group. They're still going to be fine. There's going to be a lot of, you know, rending of flesh and pulling of hair out over this performance, I'm sure, in the English media. But yeah. In in final adjudication, this is a, a a moral victory for the USA that gets them nothing vis-a-vis the game against Iran and yeah. a moral loss, if such a thing exists, for England that does nothing to change the fact that they're almost certain to go through probably and top this of the group. And this World so, Cup is all about morals. We know that. Exactly. So, Yeah, well, I, I have a couple of so thoughts what do you, what do you on think? this. Uh, yeah, I, I, I followed your Twitter timeline with, with great um, – interest but so so as a final thought here like yeah i i think the usa will now expect to go beat iran that doesn't mean they'll do it iran i think played well against wales and and deservedly won but that's a job if you want to be taken seriously on the international stage getting a nil-nil against england isn't going to be you know just being a little better in a draw is not going to be good enough you got to go win it for england the sites are set on winning the tournament those are the sites and you cannot let a draw here become a distraction because ultimately a draw here for England is perfectly fine. Yeah, I think right now the sights for England, like you're right, but the sights for England in the short term are playing World Club, Cup level football and they're not there yet because uh, I don't think they can really dream about winning this thing for another game or two till they actually kind of consistently play football that builds confidence. Now, I guess we should remember other World Cups. There's always a game where a team kind of sucks. And maybe this was England's game in the, in the in the group stage where they kind of sucked and they put it behind them. Like, there's always a pesky game. But, th- like, what they need to do is start playing to the level of their bil- ability. I think Southgate's just a little bit too safe in everything he does. He's the perfect transition manager that England needed from the funk of before to make them feel good for the next manager who's really an in-game kind of manager. But this is the manager they have right now. So they got to pivot. He was more aggressive, at least, I think, in in his lineups and the way he's played than you might have feared he might be coming into this. But that's they got to start playing the the level of football that their talent requires. When you look at the U.S., their challenge is to pivot from playing the big guy, which I guess we always suspected they there was a good chance they'd be good at. Uh, they overperformed in my expectations in terms of the level of pay, play, the quality of play, the way they could string passing through the lines. Now they got to do that against 
what might be rego- uh, regarded as a minnow, and they've got to get goals, which you know they survived, they did really well in this game without having to get a goal because England didn't get a goal. Um, and so that's you know there's two big challenges there to take this mentality and to, to outplay their next opponent and to get a couple of goals. Yeah, and the the thing that I, I will say that also stood out in this game, the refereeing was prison rules. Like it was really surprising that red, yellow cards weren't shown. Now ultimately, I'll take it because the USA had a couple of players that were on a yellow and had they received another one would have missed the Iran game. I think Weston McKinney was among them. Um, and he got subbed off, I think, for that reason. But did you have any issue with the refereeing? I mean, there were certainly a couple of questionable decisions on potential yellow cards, if not the, orange cards. The, I thought he was consistent, so I was okay with it. I guess was my take out of it. And and maybe it is a bit of the neutral in me. I didn't, I wasn't so wound up about it that it it, it really stung with me. So I think I was okay with it. Um like the inconsistency of the extra time bugs me because, like, are we done now? If the next game, like, be consistent, whatever we're doing. I thought he was reasonably consistent in this game in his refereeing, so uh, in terms of fouls and intensity and stuff. And so players read that pretty quickly and know what, what the story is. So I didn't have too much of an issue with that. But then I wasn't there protecting all my favorite players. Nobody did anything to Saka, so it was kind of okay. And Matty Turner down the other end, nobody fucks with Matty Turner. He's a giant. So, yeah, I mean, he 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 was there. There's there's not much else here. I just think that across the board, um, this was this was a game where the USA will probably look back and and say maybe if we had just that extra five percent in the final third. It could have been a famous victory, but they don't, and maybe England knew that, and that that might just be that. So, yeah, they really think- just got to take this. What they really got to do, their regret will be looking back at this if they don't take that into the next game and play at that kind of level in the next game. That'll be their huge regret. They they got to now pivot to the next game and bring that in terms of quality of play, moving the ball against a very different opponent and challenge. Yeah, well, we're going to pivot to the other games, but also to telling you that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's right. BetterHelp is online therapy, but it's real therapy, and real therapy is real important. And I think whatever you're going through in life, it could be a crisis, and when it's a crisis and you need help, you can use therapy that way. It could just be a user manual kind of thing, right? I don't know how to get through my life right now. I don't know how to pay my bills. I don't know how to get up in the morning and go through the day. Adulting is hard. I need help with it. Like, there's nothing wrong with trying to find someone whose job it is to help you, professionally trained to help you. And you would get a trainer to help you with exercise. You would get a nutritionist to help you with diet. You would get a medical doctor to help you with physical ailments. Get a therapist to help you get on track emotionally in life and just manage your way through life better. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with the therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. Couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more. Save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash vision. That's BetterHelp. Spelled H-E-L-P. Help. I need somebody. Help. BetterHelp. Dot com slash vision. Do it now, Paul. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Nailed it. All right. Um, other games, because mm. 
other games were played. Yeah. So um, let's talk Iran to Wales nil. I mean, <laughs> a red card for crazy um, goalkeeping and then two late stunning uh, goals for Iran send Wales to the brink and now put Iran in a position where even a draw will see them go through. It's not the result anyone expected after Iran lost 6-2, but I think it's a result they deserved. Yeah, look, I only I only saw the important parts of this game. I only mm. started watching just when shit started to happen. By all accounts, not much had happened before that. A bit of a snooze fest. Um, and uh, yeah, it all kicked off. The uh, What is it? Hennessy came charging out, got himself Crazy. a red card as a keeper. Nice one. And then you have that whatever it was, 11 minutes or so of extra time, and Iran made total use of it, two cracking goals. Yep. Um, there's a lot to be said for 11 minutes of extra time. Like, 11 minutes of extra time isn't like two and a half periods of like four minutes of extra time. Like, there's just a different psychology when you know, you know, that what what's he, get, he gets ki- red carded at 87 minutes. You got 15 minutes at that point to make that pay instead of like a frantic hectic four minutes where they've thrown all the bodies in the box you just can't do the same thing for four minutes i thought that was a great testament to the extended extra time which i'm still working out do i like it don't i like it in this game it was absolutely wonderful uh nothing against wales uh um i I actually love uh late late stage capitalism late stage career uh, Gareth Bale with his attitude, his interviews, his his way of life, his golfing. I love all that stuff. I want to see that stick around for a while. I love the whale story. We got Ramsey in there, even though he's not exactly at his pinnacle at the moment. Uh, but fantastic story for Iran. I think it took so much out of them. The first game, like all of the politics, all of the like. Those poor buggers probably had sleepless nights trying to work out where they actually go on the pitch and challenge the regime they have back home. What must that have taken out of them emotionally? They must have been absolutely spent in the first game. And so it's a beautiful thing for them. The problem with the World Cup is it's always at someone else's expense. Mm. Um, And you know how I feel about neutrals, Elliot. They're the worst people in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a neutral. I'm I'm pulling for one side or the other at any particular moment, changing every 10 or 15 minutes. It was fantastic for Iran. And then you think, well, but I like, I want Wales to do okay. I want to be careful about one thing because I have had some people push back on Twitter and I don't know the veracity of this. And I, I, I hate when I'm speaking on something that's outside of my uh, realm of knowledge, which is also known as the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. But like... Uh, there, there have been some comments to me on Twitter from people that say this Iranian team does not represent the protest. They represent the regime. I, I can't speak to that, but I just want to be careful in saying that I don't know the veracity of those claims and I don't yeah. know the situation except to say it is a complex situation politically at home for them and that certainly yeah. weighs on it. So, I, but yeah, I, look, and they had I, 21 shots in this game, Paul. They, they, they weren't just playing spoiler. I, I mean, yeah. they, they, they won and this I, game and rightfully the so. The only point I'm making on the politics side is not I'm not even reflecting intent or anything like that it is i understand it's very complex but that's my point those guys whatever way you look at it were standing there making a choice making a decision in very tough times and therefore emotionally going through the ringer whether you like their position or not whether it's the right position or other 
I mean, I have my thoughts on it, but that's not my point here. My point here is massively under scrutiny, probably to the last moment they're debating, should they, shouldn't they, how do they, how do they not? Um, and so just really, like, if there's a case in which the politics are grinding on a team, probably Iran is that team. Um, so just from a footballing performance standpoint, it's got to have taken it out of them in the first game. And it's good to see them getting something out of this game and coming to life and performing and the football speaking. So yep. fair play to them from the football standpoint. Yeah. And and it's like tough. I said, it puts them in a position now where they just need to find a way to draw the U.S. or better, and they're through. So they're not playing spoilers now. It'll be interesting because suddenly there's pressure on them. I think going into this Wales game, having lost 6-2 in the first one, there may have been a sense of the pressure's off. Let's just go play our football and and represent with pride. Now you get something on the line. Now yep. you're arguably the favorite to qualify because all you need is a draw. Um, so I'll be interested to see the how that dynamic changes. Let's shift gears to Ecuador Netherlands. And it was a 1-1, but my goodness, the Netherlands were battered. And they played really, really, really poorly. I'm starting to suspect that Louis van Gaal may not be a fantastic coach. It's mm. just entirely possible that he's not. Dreadful, boring, horrendous, terrible, very, very bad football. <laughs> Cody Gakpo scores a beautiful goal to open the game. And then a team with plenty of talent in it goes on to get beaten uh, on the XG meter. Are you ready for this? Ecuador, 1.69. The Netherlands, 0.07. Two shots, one on target, one goal. It was dreadful from the Netherlands. And maybe I'm over being overdramatic in my appraisal, but I don't think so. I really don't think so. Tell me I'm wrong if you think so, Paul, but I thought the Netherlands were really bad. Well, Louis van Gaal really knows how to bring the dull. Yeah, um, he does. Man, does he ever. It's it's about control, but never enough jeopardy, never enough uh, uh, surprise uh, in the game. Uh, like I mostly saw uh, the second half, I mostly saw the bit where Ecuador really came to life and like, Everything they were doing was hitting. The passes were zipping. I'm like, oh, can they keep keep this up for 45 minutes? In a way, I don't think they did. I, I think they were the better team all the way through the second half and the more interesting team to watch. But they had a couple of blistering periods where they really perked up and just minced uh, the Dutch uh, with the ball. Um, really good encouraging result for them after their first game where they really struggled to get things going. I'm disappointed with uh, the Netherlands. Like they haven't, it's a, I guess it's a team in transition. Van Dyke. I, what do you see when you're looking at Van Dyke these days? I mean, just flipping to my clubbers like that easy, slow, lazy nice. way he has of defending. I'm like, he just, he now looks just slow and not at it and not on it. I mean, I agree. Uh, I'd like to take that home to the Premier League to keep that going. I think we've been getting it in the Premier League, Paul. Have yeah. you seen the defensive numbers for Liverpool this season? Like, I think that's just where we're at now. It's very weird. I mean, he's still got some speed. He can still move. I, I don't get it. I mean, it's it's in the lower registers of his speed. It's like there's no reason he needs to, like, always make... He now makes 
players feel they're always going to have a, a, a chance because the vulnerability is there. He moves so slowly, so languid. Like he used to have this force field thing where he just kind of push you off and delay you so other people get he into position. He drops off now too. He yeah. drops, you know, he drops away, which he, he, I feel like maybe, maybe he always did, but I don't think so. He always did, but there was like, he'd get, maybe his position was a more aggressive that he'd actually kind of present more of a shield. Now he just lo- looks like a guy who's, who's trying to delay till the real troops show up and other, the attacker isn't buying it. They're either having to go at him or uh, passing around him. He's kind of making himself irrelevant and, uh, it's kind of good from a Liverpool standpoint for us. Um, like I, I was hopeful the Netherlands would show up for this World Cup. I'm not feeling it now. I think they're in trouble. I don't know that Ecuador has a huge future uh, in the World Cup, but it was nice to see them stringing it together, playing some. They looked good today, but but they did. did Inter- got stretchered off, and he's kind of been the talisman for them, so that's not going to help. It was probably something to do with child support again. <laughs> Did you never hear this story? I'm not going to touch the comment because I don't know what it's about. <laughs> oh, it's a cla- No, it's famous. It's not oh. even contentious. He oh, was, okay. he was. I think it was. He was back home, and there was going to be. He was up for child support, which he hadn't paid, and so he feigned an injury towards the end of the game, so that they would carry him off on the stretcher, and he left the building. And and drove away. Uh, I think he drove away in an ambulance and then pivoted. Like this is famous, well documented. It was all Amazing. sorted out afterwards. His Amazing. anyway. So maybe that was what was going on here. Classic no, story. Actually, that, Look that, it up. That's in, that's incredible. I don't think the story <laughs> is the same this time around, but that is that is quite incredible. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, he's last been fantastic. Least, yeah. There was uh, there was Qatar Senegal three mm-hmm. one to Senegal. I mean. I don't think we need to cover it much other than say that Qatar, you know, not the performance that we're used to seeing from a host nation. They're out. Um, I think it's the first time a host nation has lost both of their opening two matches or something like that. It's, it hasn't been a good performance. It's probably not going to be a good performance in the final game uh, against the Netherlands, I guess they have. So they're out. Let's move on and let's look ahead to tomorrow. Hmm. With all due respect to my Tunisian and Australian friends and listeners... I will not be getting up before I am to watch Tunisia, Australia. But it does give way to a really interesting day because Poland and Saudi Arabia is something mm. pretty interesting with Saudi Arabia having beaten Argentina. Mm-hmm. France and Denmark is the game of that group, and we will see if France are as good as they looked against Australia, against a team that underwhelmed in their opening match um, against Tunisia. And then argentina mexico with argentina needing to win or they're out essentially i I think is is roughly where they're at so the pick of the bunch in terms of even even games might be france denmark but let's start with argentina mexico how excited are you for that game i think it it will be fun to see argentina with their tournament on the line going up against mexico um in prime time tomorrow yeah i think they were pretty unlucky in their first game like uh they weren't Unlucky is the wrong word. They played very, very well at times, and they created lots of chances, and like they did kind of bring it. I wouldn't say the result was actually unfair in the end. Um, so I think the team really is in a good spot in terms of form and and creativity and all that stuff. So, yeah, this should be good. They've absolutely got to get a result. Uh, I think Mexico have been very effective. Um 
and uh, you know they normally get to the round of the sixteen before round of sixteen before they go out. In fact, I think they always get to round of sixteen before they go out. So mm-hmm. they'll they'll have a level of confidence. There's a vulnerability with again that they've seen with Argentina. Um, Messi's this weird player who just stands around like Harry Kane, but when he gets the ball, does phenomenal things every time. So it's kind of it's the Kane formula, but with actual sheer brilliance and genius. Uh, but he literally just stands around for most of the game. So uh, Argentina play with ten players, and then Messi gets it, and incredible things happen. Or the ball doesn't go in the net, which is the only problem with that. Um, the France one's very interesting to me because well, as could, soon as I heard about ball, yeah yeah could, go ahead. could could that have could that have shades of of England USA. In the sense that Denmark got a draw that they probably would have been expecting to be a win in their first game, similar to what the USA dealt with. France hammered their opposition in the first game. And for them, a draw, honestly, is probably fine. They don't have to go full tilt to win it. Could you get a little bit of a an England-type performance from France in that it might it might be subdued with the knowledge that losing is bad but drawing is not? You absolutely could. Um, as soon as I heard Giroud was the man for this tournament. Um, I'm like, oh yeah, okay. Now I actually think, I didn't think, I wasn't feeling France for this tournament. Uh, And as soon as I heard Giroud, I'm like, not because we all think he's the greatest player in the world, but just like France clicks with Giroud as the guy they ping the ball to, to bounce off to some other guy. And their first game, they were fantastic what they did there. Uh, I think they're so good that there's a reasonable chance that will actually be a factor in in this game that that's like they do. They're just having too much fun playing well that they'll, they'll, I don't, that's the reason they won't turn into England in this game. I think France are going to perform because it's easier for them to perform than do anything else. They just go way too much talent everywhere. And everybody's in a good moment in terms of their careers, their teams, their whatever. Uh, they all want to be... Uh, Mbappe wants to be scorer of the tournament. Giroud wants his goals records. I don't... I'm not feeling they're going to sit, but the midfielders are playing to be starters. Um, you could say the same about England, but but not really. Uh, I think France are going to play. Denmark will be better than the first time around because they have to, but also they were making the political statement. I think I just think that's a that impinges on can impinge on mentality. Maybe that's some of what we saw with Denmark it's a lot of pressure to be combining geared up for a world cup and your first game and all this other stuff you're dealing with uh maybe they'll have a, a simpler mental state coming into this so yeah i think that's going to be a cracker uh but i think france will play the good football unlike the england yeah and it'll be interesting that saudi arabia poland game because yes i mean if poland beats saudi arabia like the group is just in such an interesting position. Like, and and I almost think Argentina wants. Do they want now Saudi Arabia to win again? I mean, is that what they're rooting for? I guess I don't even. I don't even know. It gets complicated quickly. But it'll be interesting to see if Saudi Arabia can can duplicate the kind of performance they did against Argentina. Poland, of course, have Lewandowski. He missed a penalty in the opener. Um, and and now Poland are in a position where they can put themselves 
in a really nice spot where they they face Argentina just needing a draw to go through um, and can play spoiler there. So a lot of permutations in that group that'll be interesting. I think we should leave it there. It, I, I have to say, as someone who tends to, the critical fan of me, Paul, you know, the, the whining whiskers fan of me comes out when I watch the U.S. Yeah. men's team. Like, I know, hard to believe. But it really brings out of me, I get frustrated at Bearhalter. Like, I really enjoyed t- today's game. Yeah. I just thought it was, uh, you know what it was? Because I've seen plucky underdog USA stay in yeah. matches. I've seen plucky underdog USA steal a game with a, with a winner and valiantly defend. I enjoyed seeing the USA play good yeah. technical football, play through the thirds, pass their way through, keep the ball, create openings. And while it didn't result in a win, I think this is what I've always wanted from USA, which is to see them get on the big stage against a really talented team and not just sit in their defensive third and try to spoil the game with, you know, um, a goalkeeper making 25 saves and being, you know, the hero of the tournament. This was a technical, effective USA team that played football. And and that, for me, was a lot of fun. And I know the England fans, their eyes are rolling out of their head. Look, England still have the better talent. England still have the brighter future in this tournament. But as a USA watcher, you know, I, I can't say I'm a huge USA fan, but as someone who will root for my country, country football club, football team, like, yeah, this was nice because they played actual football. They played the better football, and it was very good football. I think they would have given most teams a, a fairly tired time if they showed up like that. If they do that in the next game, they're in good shape. I and think. to be fair, they, they did it in the first half against Wales, too. That's the yep. thing. This isn't a fluke. That's I just true. It's crazy. Like, like... One bad Zimmerman challenge is why the USA isn't on four points right now. But and and, and maybe a little bit of Burhalter going full Unai Emery, United States of Emery, um, in the way he approached the second half against Wales and lesson learned: go after Iran, you know, with with a, an attacking intent and see what happens. Said in another context, that could be the start of something terrible globally. But we're not talking geopolitics; we're talking football. Thank. Goodness. Uh, and the one thing I will say, by the way, doing the World Cup Daily has made me realize like we do have a global audience. And when I say a country, you know, like I, I think I referred to Iran as the punching bag of the group um, after losing 6-2. And I do want to say that that is obviously just like an expression we have in American sports. But there were people that got in my mentions that were like, after the, the game today, what do you think of us now? Like, fantastic. Genuinely fantastic, right? Like, I, yeah. I think it is fun when the nations that are less favored can do something in a tournament. I include the USA in that. Uh, I mean, I think it was Phil who called the USA a small country uh, on the last pod as it relates to football. And like the football gives us ways of looking at this stuff that that we don't normally think of countries in these ways. And, and that's a beautiful thing. And so I want to th- say thanks to everyone all over the world watching. And if we haven't loved the thing we said about your nation's team, like, no harm, no foul. It's just just us talking football, and, and thank you for being here for it. So, Paul's on uh, And also, I've, yeah. I've read about five hours of Iranian and Persian history recently, so I don't know if that's if that does no, any. No, so that that means you you uh you're not necessarily qualified to, to speak about their football team, but you may be more qualified <laughs> to speak about the geopolitical situation. I've been reading. There, but we won't do that. We won't do that because it's not what this pod is about. At least not yet. It is yet. not. Wait, just wait till we pivot to politics. It's going to be such <laughs> a popular podcast. Let me tell you. Uh, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Woo-hoo! My name is Elliot Smith, Kabak, Manager, and Gunner. Uh, Lewis and Phil will be back on an upcoming episode. Uh, I will not be on all the episodes, so you're welcome for that. But uh, hey, check out our, our scouting video over on the Patreon if you want to. Otherwise, just stick around here for this, and I hope you're enjoying the tournament. And I, I will say, as one final, final thought, 
I know that I don't love international football because today I got a notification on my calendar that there's an upcoming friendly for Arsenal. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to watch that. Like in the middle of a World Cup, I'm like, I need to see if they're televising the Arsenal friendly that they're playing as a tune-up without any of the best players. Well, some of the best players. like Anyway, okay, we love you. And we will talk to you after your country 10, other country no. Nope.